What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, hello. We're back. I have a lot of random things that came up in the last minute, so why don't you tell the audience about your trip that shocked me to the doctor? Oh, you're talking about the fact that I got skin cancer? Yes. Oh, okay. I wasn't going to talk about this, but sure. I had Is this bothersome to talk about? I think no. it's I think it's crazy because it, no. it just it spirals into so many things. So, no, it's not bothersome. So, I obviously everyone knows this, I think, left New York to move to Brazil <laughs> periodically. Uh, since then, I've lived in various places that are all sunny. And walk around to get sunshine. And I got, uh, at age 34, basal cell skin cancer on my shoulder. So it was a small, pinkish, reddish thing that was there that didn't hurt, that was a quarter the size of a dime. No one other than you would have gone to the doctor for this, which is what scared me. Because you guys might not know this. Ben is the most health-cautious person I've ever known. Yeah, I was taking athletic green supplements at age 23 or whatever. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so I went... They say, you know, sometimes when we look at this stuff, we can tell right away that it's cancer. Sometimes we look at it and we tell the person, you've got nothing to worry about. It's definitely not cancer. This is hard to tell. We're just going to cut it off and do a test. And in my mind, I go, yeah, it's definitely not. I drink green tea all the time. It's very small. It's not a mole. It's literally just showed up on my skin one day as this little pink circle. So I was like, it's definitely not. But yeah, go ahead. Cut it out. I don't care that it's going to scar. It's on my shoulder. Mm -hmm. And then they gave me a call and they said, yep, came back positive for cancer. So just before people freak out, uh, I guess basal cell cancer is not the same as melanoma. It can't spread to your organs or your bloodstream or anything like that. So it just stays on the skin. It gets bad if you ignore it for a while, because then the skin loses its ability to do what it's supposed to do, which is protect you from incoming debris. And basically wherever you have the cancer eventually just gets really prone to infections Mm. and things like that, because the skin stops being able to do its job. So she said, yeah, I mean, unless you had ignored this for years, it wouldn't have become fatal. And we don't have to run any tests to see if it's spread to like your lungs. So just come back in and we'll just chop it all out. Mm -hmm. So that's what I'm going to do. But it's not pleasant the first time you hear that you're, I guess, technically have cancer. So what blew me away is that we 
collectively, and you more than anyone, I mean, we read this book, Anti-Cancer. Oh, yeah, don't eat sugar, drink green tea, veggies every day. Have a supplement stack that includes mm-hmm. things like turmeric and all of this kind of stuff that is, that is supposed to reduce inflammation and reduce the potential for cancer to grow. And uh, Listen, the sun is just a horrific monster, man. Yeah. If you look at it too long, it'll blind you. It's always expanding, will eventually explode and kill us all. And if you stay in it too long, it gives you radiation poisoning. Did you ever get sunburn, really, though? Or in what? my life? Well, like, well, no, just consistently. Because I, when I think back to, again, when I think back to the people who are most flippant, it's more me than you. And you mm-hmm. were the one with sunscreen on. Mm-hmm. And I was the one without. So yeah. were you sunscreening up, generally? I wasn't getting burned. I mean, there's yeah. people who just don't care about... Now, growing up, I would. But I don't know that that carries over. But I'm not the kind of person that just go out in the sun, get fried, peel, and think it's not a big deal. I go out without sunscreen for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour. But no, That's I mean, it. I haven't yeah. had a brutal sunburn in... A long time. Yeah, which is not like me, which which made me start feeling all of the lumps on my body and going like, oh yeah, my yeah, yeah. God, oh, there's a bump over here. There's something over here. There's one on my neck. Um, so yeah, I guess, you know, it's the dumb thing. You think you're invincible. And to hear you just made me go, oh shit, I'm screwed. Yep. So, <laughs> I've been far more flippant than you have. Today's going to be an uplifting podcast. The moral <laughs> story is we're all going to die. And well, it's, it's a good warning. And obviously you... It sounds so bad. There couldn't have been anyone better than you to have such a small thing because you were the person that would have taken care of it mm-hmm. and, and that did take care of it. The record that- show charge looked me in the face and said, <laughs> there's not a better, I can't think of a better person in the world to get cancer than you, Ben. <laughs> that took care of it immediately. Right, it popped up not very long ago. Oh no, yeah, it's like- been there for, I don't know, a handful of months. Yeah. I just am immediately going to become that guy that has a long sleeve shirt on all the time and yeah. wears a cowboy hat outside. It's just going to be hiding from the sun. Which is good. No, you'll you'll learn from this. I uh, immediately, uh, once once my shock at the word cancer died down, I was like, I'll, I'll probably learn nothing. From yeah. <laughs> a day, day from now, Charlie will text me, say, hey, you want to go get tan on the roof? <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, take care of yourselves, everybody. And uh, if there's, my mom is going to be watching this now with a far, heart full of terror. Oh, yeah, I called. I already called my mom and dad and told them about it. She's been telling me to go to the doctor for every ailment since I was four years old. So, um, But for the record, I'm still going to live forever, guys. Still, no one panic. Everything's okay. Still going to make it to 100. A um, lot of random things that I had that just popped up last minute. We were, I, this is my question. This, is, this genuinely is a question. So we talked about Russell Brand last week and the titles, like the clickbaity mm-hmm. titles. And then Veritasium, I just watched it this morning, made a video on types of clickbait. <clears throat> one which is which he calls type one clickbait, which is stuff that is clickbait in the sense that it's intended to get clicks. So there can be a lot of things in the true category that are intended to get clicks. And the example that he gives is one video of his that he called the Carl Zatz effect. And he switched the title to this is the math problem no one can solve. Mm. Both are true. The second one got a lot more views, but sure. it, it was clickbaity in the type one sense. And the type two sense being deceptive, where I don't even know what the exact example is, but it doesn't deliver on the title or makes you think. I'm hey, quitting YouTube. I'm quitting YouTube. And then it's like, I'm not going to be back for three weeks. <laughs> no, I, now people literally, I saw a guy I follow. It's called I'm quitting YouTube. And he starts it off. He goes, guys, I just wanted to say, really sorry to tell you I'm uploading every day. This was clickbait. <laughs> like just straight up. Not, it's not even a stretch. To the truth. He's just not quitting. We know there's a type three clickbait, which is like the PewDiePie. My audience understands that I never tell the truth here. So there's no expectation of the truth. That's not what this was. This guy's a game, like a video game streamer. But he just knew it would get clicks. Yeah. 
Well, in any event, so he talks about those two different types, and then I saw, which I think is a very good title, but I wanted to ask. Justin posted uh, ours, which oh is, boy. it's definitely type one, but it's Russell Brand's hypocritical YouTube titles. Mm. And I was curious where we think that falls in the type one, type two clickbait thing. Is it? Well, you're, it's your point. Do you think they're hypocritical or not? What do you think? I mean, you, you made the title. I don't watch Russell Brand. <laughs> My understanding of him is that he's just like celebrity turned like meditation guy. Yeah. So that's what I try to convey in the thumbnail and title. And yeah. I thought it was hypocritical. Got it. Got it. You're not wrong that he is a celebrity turned meditation guy. Well, I think what's interesting, I think it's a stretch because I think hypocritical. Can a title be hypocritical, hypocritical to the way that he lives his life? It's, it would require more words, and YouTube doesn't necessarily give you the space. I think it's a stretch, and maybe we should adjust it. But I do think it's interesting, and I don't I want you still pushing the edge, but that the exact phenomenon that we're talking about, which is, you know, you and I come on here and try and fail to have nuanced conversations, and then we ask Justin to get views mm -hmm. on these nuanced conversations. And we tell Justin, do what you can to do that, and I mean it, and then he goes and he's like, sure. <laughs> it's just like super controversy affects <laughs> the world. Hypocrisy abounds and, uh, you know, everyone's lying to you. And it's, I totally, totally get it. It's just interesting that to note, uh, to just look at the system from inside of it. And mm -hmm. go, oh, this is my home. This is where I live in this ecosystem of, uh, of amygdala titillating content. So no, nothing, nothing bad or just, just, uh, interesting notice an interesting notice any comments no any thoughts justin's over here like i'm just trying justin's to do my job man <laughs> I, mean, I could change it if we want i'm just trying to follow instructions i think i views. think i think we should push it and catch it and i'll when i see it i'll be like eh, let's adjust that one but uh, yeah it, I'll, I'll think on it exactly what it is it's to me it's a slight stretch but i'll i'll consider uh what it might be so i, I just have a bunch of little ones if you want me to keep going the main thing I wanted to talk about today was that amazing love story in the movie Free Guy. So I don't know if you want to no, talk about that talk now. About sure. But sure. that, first of all, great movie. Great movie. Recommend yeah. it. Enjoyed, enjoyed myself. Mad credit to original IP. Yep. Yeah. Like, in, a, in a world where they're just remaking everything, this was a novel concept that I thought was well done. Mm -hmm. Except, <laughs> spoilers. Not Spoilers. really, because I mean, I'm glad this makes up 10, per, 10 minutes of the whole movie. Yeah. It's really not the crux of the movie at all. But and, and as soon as you see it, you can predict it because you've seen it a trillion times before. So yeah. it's it's light spoilers, even though it goes to technically the end of the film. But there is a love story where the plot is a guy silently pines for a woman for years. Mildly overtly. It's weird that she doesn't <laughs> pick up on it at all. And then at the end of the movie, she realizes... Nothing has changed about the guy, how attractive, how smart, whatever. Nothing has changed. All she realizes is that he has quietly for years doted on her from afar. And that moment of realization is when she falls for him. Mm -hmm. And that is the most unrealistic mo like turning point for female love that I have ever seen. And it is also going to hypnotize all the... 10 to 17 year olds in the theater into thinking that's how love works. And I saw it and it hurt me inside as I thought of myself being in this theater 20 years ago, watching the same message, I'm sure in a different movie. I mean, I think but it was, it is, that is so dumb to think that what you should do is longingly stare at someone from afar for years 
and then just tell them, hey, I've creeped on you for years and expect <laughs> that they're going to turn around and go, you know what? I literally never thought about you as more than a friend till this moment. But knowing that you have lusted for me quietly is so erotic. Yeah. <laughs> like, that is just not how this works uh, at all. And it gets in there. And it, I, I watched that and I thought of myself as a kid and I thought of the movie that I've gone back to and just talked about because it really does this the worst is Can't Hardly Wait. Oh, yeah. Guy. She doesn't even know who he is. She doesn't even know his name. But he, like, loves her from loves, quote unquote. Um, Obsesses over Stalks her, her for yeah. four years <laughs> in high school. And then she discovers a note that he wrote her about how amazing she is. And this is the trope, that that you noticing how amazing she is without interacting with her is what will make her attractive to you. And it's such poison for for young people, young men. Uh, and at the end of Can't Hardly Wait, she finds this note and she goes, Preston, is this, did you write this? Uh, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> uh, and my one of my, the movies that I liked that always made me laugh and I think, it's really worth sometimes asking yourself, what were the, the movies that you loved as a kid and a teenager? Because they can form the basis of a lot of uh, implicit assumptions that you have about oh, yeah. the world. So I oh, really my liked... favorite movie growing up was Hercules. That's not a good <laughs> movie to model in terms of your romantic relationships. The, oh, the, the, the Disney one. The one where he gives up godhood and ever being able to hang out with his parents again <laughs> for a girl who just found out, lied to his face, and they've also been together for like a month. Yeah. It's not a great moral. Yeah, I liked... Girl Next Door, and that was more in my teen years, but that's one where she's she's a porn actress or has been a porn actress, and they, they have some interaction, but the crux of it is that he sees, in, in his interactions, everybody only sees this, but he sees how amazing she is. It's the seeing of amazingness, this hidden amazingness that only they can see, but of course, if you look at the relationship, it was totally predicated on, a, on how hot she was. Mm -hmm. Like he's, you know, the whole thing is how stunning and hot she is, but then he sees something beyond that in five minutes of scenes where he really, really gets to see her true essence, which is, of course, not what he was seeing. He, what he was seeing was how hot she is, and yep. they made that very clear. Uh, yeah, it's it's horrible brainwashing mm -hmm. for young people. It doesn't work, and it can just make you resentful, and it, and it encourages that kind of behavior where you're writing notes to people that don't know you and you don't know them. Uh, even if it's not, even if you don't actually go through writing the note, I, you know, I remember thinking in high school that there was the girl that I had a crush on and that because I held her in higher esteem in my mind than I thought her boyfriend at the time did, that I would have been the better pick for some mm -hmm. reason, which is insane. It's like you're, and of course I was a young kid. I don't hold it against myself, but you don't even really deeply know this person. Yeah. And the fact that you have a good opinion of them does not. <laughs> no, and I think I think there's a difference between if you look at the Tom Holland Spider-Mans with both the people that he has romantic interests in, the plot is they, they both have crushes on each other, mm -hmm. but both are awkward and shy because yeah. they're 16 and nerds. Yeah, That's totally plausible. That happens in real life. I don't have a problem with that, but it's this, this, oh, the woman had no crush or no interest until she found out that you've been stalking her for four years. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and suddenly that's the catalyst for liking you, which I, it's just a terrible message that you see all the time. And I thought it was interesting because it's very in your face that that's the moral of free guy. Yeah. Still a good movie. Still recommend it. Also how, like, it really does make her character seem so dense, which yeah. she's supposed to be this co-founder of this brilliant, literally, the f well, I won't spoil, like a brilliant <laughs> yeah, yeah, co-founder. Yeah, yeah. A brilliant, brilliant co-founder. And she can't detect that this guy has had a crush on her because despite the fact that they've worked together all that time. Uh, it's just, it makes, 
it makes her seem dumb, which she's written not to be. Yeah. Uh, we don't have to beat it to death. I just thought it was fascinating how horribly uh, <laughs> cinema in, like inaccurately represents male-female dynamics. Sure. So, yeah, a bunch of small things. Jake Paul, Tyron Woodley going to fight. Oh, yeah. I'm excited for that one. I watched. They just had the Showtime thing. I clicked through. And, of course, you know, I don't care about Tyron's parts. I'm interested in Jake because, you know, Tyron's a 39-year-old fighter who was most interesting to me several years ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, But Jake is interesting to watch. And what I did think was, of course, there's a ton of production behind this, a lot of thought to the story arc and all this. But if any of that, if, if you're too cut through any of that and believe things, which I don't know one can, but there is the background of a story of Jake as someone who was... Uh, really needed discipline in order to not be the bad the the bad guy forever. Like that boxing, he doesn't say exactly, but it kind of says saved his life mm-hmm. and that it uh, made him a better person that did all these things. And uh, Has it made him a better person? Has he, he stopped doing shenanigans think, since he started boxing? I think he thinks so. It gave him, he was, what he said in the thing is that, you know, it was about views and this and that, and it still, you know, still wants to succeed and still wants to knock people out. But it just, it, it, it gave him something he had to do. It put him in a place where he was uh, wearing himself out constantly. <laughs> and it, and he thinks that it's been good for him. So I don't, I can't attest to his character, but I do know that there's that phenomenon that, People, some people say that joining the military, I was just going to say the military, was the best thing that ever happened to them because of the strict discipline mm-hmm. that it imposed on their life that was necessary. And I don't count myself in that type of in that group of people who would do well or, or benefit from that. But, but you I, hate authority, so yeah, yeah. And Although I'm sure Jake hated authority. I'm not as wild, rambunctious, or or I guess dangerous. <laughs> yeah, you're just the guy that's going to write. A magnum opus against authority <laughs> yeah you know just, you're gonna publish something gonna you're write, not you're not gonna, gonna do anything violent <laughs> exactly you're just well, gonna write a philosophical treatise about why the authority is wrong yeah and i guess there's this i don't know them that well because they don't make up a lot of my inner circle but they're i've seen and knew uh at a distance young men with anger or frustration uh lacking in reason and purpose who have really done well with discipline yeah. Uh, and I, I don't know what to make of that, but I was just like, oh, wow, this is a very it's a personality type that I don't often account for. And when I see that behavior, it doesn't occur to me like what you need is to just wear your batteries out like crazy in the pursuit of a physical activity yeah. uh, with a harsh, harsh schedule that locks you in for a period of time. Yeah, it's not a cure all. No, but, no. You know, I think there's some people that go into the military because they have that anger and then they don't necessarily do well with the discipline part or they go overseas and do things you wouldn't want them to do or there's people that take up boxing and just start doing bar fights i think a mike perry who's a wild you know he's a wild mma fighter starts training mma i'm sure has all the discipline and coaches and stuff like that and then it's just out there dropping n-bombs and punching 65 year olds in the face yeah it doesn't seem like he's it's reined him in now maybe i mean that was a couple years ago but it's uh i agree with you but i also don't want to overstate that this is an amazing cure that always works type thing. I think mm-hmm. just some people it helps rein in and other people just teaches them to hit more accurately and yeah. harder. An arrow in the quiver, I suppose, if you're ever a parent or or something out there. And I do, I have heard stories of, you know, young kids even that are just in first or second grade and they're frustrated, they're not doing well, they're doing bullet and they just go to the local karate thing. Mm-hmm. And for them, that's, that's enough. So it uh, wasn't something that I experienced in my life, but it was, oh, this is something that really 
helps other people. Interesting. My friend, our friend, sent me an article from the New York Times. It's on dirty work, not physically dirty, but morally dirty work that talks about how, as a society, we're complicit in the factory farms and the immigration officials that, you know, might have done, I don't, I don't know what they did, that they, uh, they just used them as an example, sure. uh, prison guards and all that sorts of things. And it was, there's a couple things that were in there that were subtle that I wanted to talk about. One is at the end, they talk about, you know, sort of what can be done. And it just gives one example of a group of people who, uh, I think they, I don't know if it's a veteran at the end of the article, they sort of are having this community thing where they gather around and they say, we did this, we put you in this position, we we take responsibility for having put you uh, into war or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I was conflicted because I found that, one, a really nice thing to do to recognize that that person isn't clear, like that person is operating inside of a world and had a limited set of options or was, was encouraged to do that. But it also, the seeming undifferentiation of responsibility like the lack of individual responsibility and the complete resorting to we did this seemed false this was in the military no this was in like a community center so for example i can try to get the exact article and i'm recalling it but think think like a veteran goes out to war Mm -hmm. does things that he was ordered to do kills people comes back to his community is messed up about it the community has some sort of healing thing where they uh, have this event, they get around, they hold, they say, we did this, we sent you there, we um, well, we, th- share, we share this burden. I think the problem with the military is they, it, they get you in with one thing before they ask you to do another. I know a guy who was a Navy SEAL who went in there because he was going to try to defend his country and do the right thing, high integrity, do what's right. You know, it was, this was probably shortly after 9-11. And then got a mission he you know trained all the way through to navy seal and was active was doing seal missions and they asked him to do something he did not want to do and he said i don't want to do this he said if you don't you will be dishonorably discharged so he did it mm-hmm. and then was really fucked up about it and ended up having to get discharged anyway because he had massive ptsd from it and i think sure that guy had individual opportunities to opt out where he could have just said, okay, dishonorably discharge me. But I think that's tough because he's now in the military system. He's not sitting around with us. He's or you could be surrounded by military yeah. people. Sure. And I think that if that was the mission they told him he was going to run when he was enlisting, when he was there saying, hey, do you want to sign up for the military? He goes, yeah. He goes, okay, great. Here's how it's going to look for the next five years. We're going to do this training, this training, these missions, and this mission. He might not have said, I'm in. Sure. So... I do think it's tough because it is such a well-oiled machine for indoctrinating you. And it, I mean, not that it is an emotionally abusive relationship, but one of the keystones of emotionally abusive relationships is to separate you from your other influences because we as humans don't have a really strong ability to just know the truth without having to ping off other people. And the military does put you in the military machine where if you do have a moral issue, who do you turn to? You're going to have to turn to other military people most likely especially about a mission that i'm sure was classified and so i think he didn't want to do it felt it was wrong but that's a really tough thing to do is to eat the dishonorable discharge after working all the way up to a navy seal and being told by your superiors who you respect this is you're you're not looking at this the right way this is for the greater good and then doing it and going fuck i was right and this was awful and i have to live with these images in my head of whatever it was that went down, which I don't know because he 
you wouldn't talk about it. Um, so yeah, I do think there's, there are examples I can think of where it's not necessarily fair to be like, oh, you should have just known to, to not do the thing that you're upset that you did oh, no, or whatever. I, I totally, totally agree with that. The, so just, so to be clear, what I think that the responsibility does extend far beyond the individual. Yeah. I guess what I was thinking is the undifferentiation of like one of those people in that community, Lord knows, might have protested against the war, voted against the war, been a senator who was active, who was filibustering and sure. probably not a senator, but uh, that there's a difference between that person and the person who was not yet old enough to do anything at the time. There's And, and so while I, I understand this, this collective coming together, and I do believe to your point that there needs to be less individual accountability for these sorts of social ills that we have there still needs to be differentiation amongst who is responsible and i don't think it is evenly distributed in society for instance to people who were not born to those who were against those sure, who actively yeah um so that was all i was i was like i think you're onto something with the fact that it's not just you but i think you're off and saying like we all did this because while that's a very sweet sentiment some of you weren't born at the time or, or might've fought against this or, and I think it's, um, it is important to maintain some sort of individual sense of, uh, differentiation while operating in a collective. That's sure. That I mean, I imagine the exercise is more like we are supposed to represent the whole sure. country. You we know, are, like yes. when I say we're responsible, probably what I'm saying to that soldier isn't I, Ben Altman, am responsible. I'm just saying we like, I'm a representative for this exercise. Kind of like when you do, you go to a personal development thing and you're supposed to talk to someone yeah. and they represent your dad or the person that molested you or whatever. Mm -hmm. they, they act as a representative for you to talk to. Yeah. So the exercise might just be, hey, we're all going to come together and hug you and we're going to represent the, nation. the country yeah, yeah. that you defended. And so in that sense, maybe you're not supposed to be Charlie Hooper. You're just supposed to be one of 20 people mm -hmm. that are standing in for the whole nation so the person can get the metaphorical experience. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think, yes, that makes that to me, I'm, I, I guess, more comfortable with the, the ritual of mm -hmm. it and like the reintegration back into the community and saying you're not alone in this uh, as as a literal statement of we all did this. I like, go, oh, well, we'll hold the phone like not not that this person needs to stand alone, but that some of you don't belong here. Some of you, like I said, weren't weren't born at the time and we're, yeah. just, we're just finishing a 20 year war like. For, to hold a six-year-old responsible, uh, just people, you know, they, they were two years old when 9-11 happened or something seems, sure. seems, um, to miss, to miss something. I imagine it's, it's meant to be more metaphorical than mm -hmm. literal. Yep. So, oh, there was uh, some other interesting, subtle things. And this came up cause I was, I'm going to give you so many good faces for this thumbnail, Justin. <laughs> I'm going to knock this out of the park for you today. Just start uh, naming them. <laughs> Jordan. Jordan Peterson, Peterson. Elon Musk. <laughs> Joe Rogan. No, I watched, so Jordan Peterson had an interesting podcast with Warren Farrell who, who writes, uh, often like men's, this has such a bad connotation, men's rights stuff. But he wrote, uh, about the pay gap in the past. He wrote, um, yeah, this talked is, about his last book. He was he, a leader in the feminist movement. The leader in the feminist movement and felt that they were excluding downtrodden men and started to speak up and they were not about that. And the what you'll hear about Warren Farrell is that he's this misogynist, yada, yada. And as you watch interviews, he's like the softest softy 
that ever softed. <laughs> yeah, he talks so, for a little bit and then goes, I want to I want to give some I want to give yeah. you an opportunity to speak. I feel like I've been and I, I want to center you. That's not to denigrate him at all. That's just to to say that my impression at having heard about him and then having listened to him were completely different. Mm-hmm. Uh so he w- he had a conversation with Jordan Peterson that made this particular line in that article about dirty jobs stand out to me. And they're talking about dirty jobs and they give the examples of prison guards and soldiers and factory farmers, Mm -hmm. keep in mind. They use one example at the beginning. You know how New York Times often starts with like, you know, uh, Keith Edwards, a blank did blank in this particular place. And they start with the specific and move to the general. There are specific stories about a woman who is a uh, mental health counselor to prison. Mm -hmm. So they say these jobs, it falls proportionally to people with fewer choices and opportunities, such as high school graduates from depressed rural areas, undocumented immigrants, women and people of color and i went hold the phone you're exactly wrong here it falls disproportionately to men to do these dirty jobs like how did you get this exactly wrong if you were if you were to exclude gender i could understand that uh but these dirty jobs and the ones that they listed the the, uh, you know operating in a prison system being a soldier working in these factory farms you can you can go on and on and list like the morally uh difficult or gray or dubious areas those very, very clearly fall to men. And yep. I was just like, it is, and they, so I'm watching this thing with Jordan Peterson and uh, Warren Farrell is talking about the ideology that uh, is in there and just how there, there is this deep-rooted belief because he's worked both with the Republican Party under Trump and now Democrats under Biden to try to get these dad initiatives included in the gender days. And he said, I love what you're doing with women. Can we include men? And he says, really, the pushback is different from Republicans and Democrats. Republicans, it's political, and they were worried that talking about dads is going to make Trump look bad if he gets up there and gives a speech about absentee fathers. <laughs> <laughs> but for the Democrats, it is a sincere belief that women have it worse. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they, and as I think evidence is that by this particular line, just as one example, they cannot see the ways in which men so evidently are disproportionately have it worse. Now, I've talked in the podcast, I actually don't think it's helpful to split into groups of men and women. Like, let's just talk about people that have these dirty jobs. Yeah, yeah, even if it's 90%, 10%, just go, let's just help. Prison guards who have to witness hell. And if it's 90% men and 10% women, like, you're all included, don't worry about it. This isn't going to be a gender. We're not going to only do PTSD for Marines who are one gender or the other. We're just going to do Marines with PTSD. Yeah, most combat veterans are men. Yeah, you're just saying if you were going to list a gender, but you're saying if you were going to list a gender for yeah. these particular jobs, it wouldn't be the one the New York it's, Times listed. It's exactly wrong. Yeah. And it's so wrong in such obvious, instantly understandable, checkable ways using the using the ones that you've given here. Like if you if you were to Google any of this, mm-hmm. uh, and it's it's crazy to me that 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 is so ideologically set that Sorry, so who did they list? I have to get the, the article. Poor, so this oh, is, I thought you had it written down. I thought. No, I didn't have it written down. But they, uh, from from recollection, it was prison guards, soldiers. No, no, people. sorry. You said it was the poor, illegal immigrants, women, oh, God, sorry, and yeah. minorities. Uh, high school graduates from depressed rural areas, undocumented immigrants, women, and people of color. Got it. Um, and again, people of color is a bit broad. Like, do these jobs fall disproportionately if you were to compare to Asians or white people? I suspect that you're going to find far more of these morally dubious jobs 
falling to, yes, Latin immigrants, but probably more white people comparatively to, to Asian yeah. people. Maybe the New York Times just has a copy-paste they do for their articles. I you think know? they, they just- do. I think they do. I think these broad strokes uh, form the foundation of how many of these writers see the world. Mm-hmm. And so it's just, I'm like, how can you be so so wrong? And it was just one line, but it stuck out with me particularly because of having watched that thing. Sure. Um, so I'll see... There was just a couple other interesting points that they mentioned in that Warren Farrell piece uh, or the Warren Farrell podcast. Oh, I don't know about that. This, this, they, they were talking about the workplace and men and women. Uh, and they talk about how, rightly or wrongly, and we've, we've talked about this on our main channel, the currency of male social interactions is, tends to be witty put-downs. Like it tends to be how men speak to one another. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that what is, this isn't all workplace harassment, and they make that very clear, but that, that teasing in the workplace may be perceived as discrimination by women when some men, it's, it's actually an element of inclusion. Like if you, if you are being teased or put mm-hmm. down in, in, in those sorts of ways that are not necessarily overtly sexual or anything like that, that you're being included. And uh, one of the things that he said is that 19 to 1, so 95% of complaints according to one sort of study that he found uh, to HR come from women compared to men. Now, obviously some some subset, probably a large one, are related to sexual harassment or other mm-hmm. things, but his hypothesis is that the way that men and women socialize is fundamentally, or not fundamentally, has different elements to it. Sure, which is Call causing, cultural, call genetic, doesn't yeah, really matter. Which, just, w- that's just where we're at today. Is yes, that most yes. men interact with men differently <laughs> than most women interact with women. That's yes. what they're saying. Um, and that is part of, though not all of, the, the difficulty at work. And then, you know, they go on. I haven't been in a, in a traditional workplace, so I, I have a hard time really connecting yeah, yeah. with a lot Well, of it reminds me a little bit. I can give a little anecdotal little story that's tangentially related. And, and I don't have a, there's no moral to the story, but this is what happened at one of my offices was uh, at, no one liked the job. Everyone looked forward to the lunch break. On the lunch break, we had one TV in the kitchen and it was always on SportsCenter. And the guys loved that. And the partners would come in and watch while they ate. And the analysts would come in and watch while they ate. And they would all talk sports and everyone was invited. But, uh, it happened to be that the three women that were in my analyst class didn't have an interest in sports. So because they were bored of that, they would eat separately, self-selected to eat separately. They felt excluded because of that. So they reported it to HR. So HR banned sports from the TV on in the lunchroom, which made all the partners hate really upset. Yeah. And so then instead instead of going to the lunchroom to eat, all the partners would eat their desks, streaming sports on their computers. And then we would eat in the lunchroom, like the eight of us, but it didn't, uh, end up fostering strong relationships between the genders because we still didn't have a lot of things in common, except they for t- well, it there was were the two re- people that ended up having sex with each other. <laughs> was, so. was there resentment there about? Oh the- yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure, there was resentment there. And I and I am positive that if a woman had been interested in sports and come in and wanted to watch Sports Center and talk sports with everyone else, she would have been absolutely included. And I'm also positive that I felt excluded when golf was on. Yeah, because I've never golfed in my life. I never watched golf. I could have named pre working one golfer, Tiger Woods. I didn't know who anyone else was. Mm-hmm. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And I would just shut up. Were there guys that didn't care at all about sports, to your knowledge? You might not even have noticed There were, yes. Yeah. But they would still just come in there and hang out and shoot the shit and not talk about sports. But they would just put up with the sports That was talk. me, to be clear. And, and they would, But they would still just, yeah, hang out. And uh, I don't know if that's the right call, the wrong car, but I just know the, the, the outcome was not strong, stronger ties yeah. amongst the analysts, nor was it positive feelings from the partners and maybe that's like a step you have to take on the road to wherever they're going but that's what happened in my office so they just went oh okay sports are making you guys feel unincluded we'll just turn it off and everyone's like oh all right well well first of all the partners should stop showing up they said we'd rather watch sports center than hang out yeah. with our analysts <laughs> <laughs> so we're gonna watch on our laptops yeah and and then we just all watched i mean not even watch the news was just on in the background while we all that sucks eight Without it. Uh, so yeah, that's what happened in my office. And I don't know how you get where we want to go, which is everyone feels included and everyone's excited to be there. But this was, if we can't get everyone excited to be there, let's just make sure everyone's included and no one's excited to be <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now we're just watching with some guy jawing on the background about news Everything. no one cares about. And uh, we still have this weird gender divide because we also just happen to have different interests. Yeah. I, one of the things that they sort of talk about and they, they talk about it somewhat directly, somewhat it's it's intimated, but that um, men and women face problems differently. Now, it's, of course, I I really do, and you guys have heard me talk about this, there are some men that don't fit into this category, there are some women that don't fit into this category. Broadly, this is where uh, people tend to land, but I think it's important to always just keep in mind that these are not monoliths, yeah. and I don't want to treat them as such. Bell curves with different averages, but super fat tails in both directions, yeah. such that there can be a ton of people from either camp that fit the description of the opposite camp yeah. extremely closely. That, um, yeah, that, that problems for men, you know, one, at, at a base level that women often um, like to commiserate, feel into their problems, and uh, when they don't know necessarily what to do with them, they will look to authority figures to step in. And boys, probably through a lot of socialization, are socialized to uh, see themselves as the problem and then do what they can to adjust and fit in and and have a sense that if you tell an authority figure, you're in, you can't do that. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> like, well, you just get bullied, you just get bullied by your peers. I mean, yes. I, to be honest, I have no idea what it's like to grow up as a woman. So maybe that happens for women too. But as a guy... There was definitely female bullying. I mean... As a guy, if you... Tell the teacher it's not going to get better for you. Oh, I mean, when the teacher's around, it will. But like, at least where I grew up, mm -hmm. you, there's a payment. You got, you got to pay for being a narc. Uh, and I think that still was true, at least in the workplace. It wasn't a physical beating that you were going to have, like you might in elementary school, but you were going to pay a social cost mm -hmm. if you were reporting something to HR that made the other men like so the situation less. Yes. Yeah. So it, it, it was, uh, they talk about the workplace and Jordan Peterson says his uh, damning line. Like it's not, it's not obvious that men and women can coexist in the workplace. And he recognizes that people freak out at that, but just you know, that it's 50 years old and we are seeing, you know, perhaps we can work these problems out, but we are seeing uh, 
we are seeing the different styles clash and create fears on both sides uh, and concerns. Women's fear of being, uh, well, often what is false to the women's fear of being either excluded or cut out from promotional opportunities or you know, purposely left out because she's not one of the boys clubs. Men's fears of being, and you know, of being harassed sexually. Men's fears of being falsely accused of those harassments of uh, having to make nice with someone that they don't necessarily connect with, of you know, leaving the door open. So they, they talk about all those different sorts of things. Uh, and it was, it was interesting, particularly in light of that New York Times article. That was the piece that I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, also in the New York Times article, they, they just... Again, this just one person, so I can't say they, but this is the sense that I have when I read these types of things. From the New York um, Times specifically, or just any articles? Pretty Well, that's a fair point. <laughs> it's, New York Times is a great example of them, uh, but Washington Post and LA Times as well. Uh, one of the things in that initial article that I mentioned that they also wrote another line is, the elites are also less, these, they talk about elites who have dirty jobs. The elites are also less likely to be shamed and stigmatized for what they do than to be envied. And I thought that that really missed, like, I feel like the, the most stigmatized group of people in America is bankers. I don't think that, now, now, maybe not in their immediate circle, but certainly at large, if you ask people who you hate more, soldiers or bankers, who do you hate more? Uh, people who operate factory farms or bankers. It's a costless stigma, though, I will say. Yeah. No one does, no one does anything to your face. It doesn't cost you any friendships. It doesn't cost you anything. You know, I mean, people will talk shit on you from afar, but... Even if you interact with that same person and they find out you're an investment banker, no one does anything. Whereas I could imagine military members getting spit on by someone who just absolutely hates the military or a prison guard just having a really tough time at work or whatever it is, you know? Mm -hmm. the, the banker stigma does not come well, with well, a cost. Well, this is, yeah, I guess the stigma, well, okay, the politician stigma, I think definitely does, right? That has to, we have to acknowledge that that one comes with a cost. In terms of like social stigma. people looking through your life? Uh, no, a social stigma if you're a politician dealing with real world consequences of people actually hating you. If you are, you know, any of the 535 people involved in Senate or the House. I guess it depends. Are you talking about social media hate? Or are you talking about someone meets you, finds out you're a governor and then changes their behavior because they found out you're a governor? I think what you've definitely done right there is distinguish between two types of stigma. And one is... People talk shit on politicians all day and might spit on them or throw things at them from a crowd. Uh, but I think if you have the opportunity to be close to a politician in a non-hidden uh, way, you would probably re respond more to their status than to their particular job. I'm, I'm would, genuinely trying to yeah. narrow down what the cost of the stigma is. Because, for instance, if I, you are at a bar, if you're at the top, a rooftop bar, and you're on a business trip and they're on a business trip and you meet them and they say, oh yeah, I'm, I'm a senator for Kansas or Pennsylvania. I struggle to imagine anything besides just, oh, and then yeah. maybe you walk away if you're disinterested. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious if there's... Well, I think, I think for politicians and, and bankers, it's, it's what you mentioned earlier, is large-scale social media uh, anonymous hate. Mm -hmm. And you are less likely to be brigaded. Now, there's sometimes pickets outside of like you know, the major Wall Street firms or stuff like that, but you're less likely to have an in-person interaction go poorly. And Especially for an investment banker, I think even more so than a politician. I think because in-person, what people are responding to is status, which is they recognize this guy's got influence and money, I better make nice. Yeah, you know, it also like, doesn't necessarily say on your Instagram that you are an investment banker. Mm -hmm. So there's no, how are people going to hunt you down if they're trying to 
be angry at sure. everyone that works at JP Morgan. Now, I don't know what the, because I don't know any, I don't know the associated uh, hits that a prison guard takes to their social life or to interactions, how people treat them at, uh, whether they're at a party or a bar or something like that, if they do stuff on factory farms. I have no idea what that is, though I could imagine that it sometimes, though, though from the elite, it's interesting. I, I Kind of what I'm seeing is that like elites look down on low-class dirty jobs and what you could say, and I, I don't mean pejoratively, like low-class people look down on elite dirty jobs mm-hmm. and we both go, I would never, that's horrible <laughs> without really recognizing that people take the jobs mm-hmm. that are offered to them from the positions that they have in an attempt to try to make their lives better economically. I'm sure someone in the comments <laughs> will let me know what job actually has this, but I can't off the top of my head think of a job that has a stigma that comes at a cost for your personal life other than something related to sex like work. abortion clinics, you know, running an abortion clinic. Sure, that'll do it in the South. <laughs> like that, that's deadly. You know, there's been some bombs. Not going to affect you in D.C. No, I'm saying you meet someone. You're like, oh, hey, what's up? What's up? What do you do? Mm. And then you say what you do and then violence ensues or people don't want to relate to you or be your friend yeah. or people are upset that you're dating their daughter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess maybe that last one I can think of a lot of jobs that mm-hmm. maybe certain dads or moms would be against. But yeah, a lot of the stigma seems like it that just comes from strangers from afar yep. for all these jobs. Yep. Um, anything else in this? Like, I've just, no, like no. I said, I just have a bunch rip, of stuff. Rip, dude, rip. <clears throat> so uh, I don't want to go too deep into this, but I just thought this was an interesting. So there's the Tech Lead CoffeeZilla thing mm-hmm. that has happened with Million Token. And he made a video, Tech Lead, where this was an interesting line in it. And it's always tough with him because he's always being somewhat sarcastic, somewhat serious to mm-hmm. know what his serious meaning is. But, but I, this does seem to match him. Uh, he defends himself talking about the cultural dependency of right and wrong, where he said, you know, what is right and wrong to you? Is this, that? Uh, he basically talks about moral relativism. And he says, what you need to do is play the cards you've been dealt in life to enjoy, uh, in, dealt in life to the best of your ability in order to enjoy life. Uh, and I think... I don't know. I was if he if he meant it sincerely. I think whipping out moral relativism in order to defend something like this, when I pretty sincerely believe he would not use moral relativism to defend someone harming him, mm-hmm. <laughs> as you know, who can know what right and wrong is? You know, you punched me in the face. Who's to say that that's a good thing or a bad thing? There's there only what people thought, enjoy in life. I thought that what you did was a scam, <laughs> so I hacked your bank and I stole yeah, all your yeah. money. Who's to say that that's wrong or right? Moral relativism. I think he would go, this is wrong. You stole my money. Give <laughs> yeah, it back. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, I I agree. So moral relativism, I while I broadly agree with uh, and has really interesting implications that we can talk about and discuss, to use it so uh, as such a catch-all defense mm-hmm. against literally anything without, without thought to what that implicates having been done to you with complete moral immunity sure is i don't know lazy and is indicative that he is not thinking so much about the ethics of what he's doing as he is thinking because when i when i saw the thought that went into million token it is a lot like he clearly understands cryptocurrencies at a high level Mm -hmm. and so he's just his brain doing him a solid has put so much of its thought power into figuring out how to make million token make him a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And so little lazy effort into thinking through the ethics in an honest and straightforward way. 
if 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 that is his defense, is that yeah, probably true of a lot of people though. I mean, I'm sure I'm sure that's you know when you're when they're growing Facebook, I'm sure there's more emphasis on growth than there is on. Do you think that it's going to be bad for people when they have this on their phone all the time? You think it's going to be bad that kids can't escape bullying? Do you think? I think most people in the pursuit of money spend more time thinking about how to make money than the ethics of what they're doing. Sorry, we all spend more. I would, I would say, like definitely more. This, this has just hit a degree of like this is so lazy. You've, you've, hopefully, in Facebook, they had better justification than what is right and wrong. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) who can know? Who can say? It might be, you know, the Holocaust could have been right. So we'll do whatever we feel like. That, that to me is. they had they worked a little harder than that, I sure. think, to to justify it. So I was disappointed in that in that uh, justification. And then the last thing is, I read uh, a book that I mentioned. We can it's just an interesting idea. We, I don't know really what to talk about within it. Called "Silently Seduced: When Parents Make Their Children Their Partners," and it was about the. Uh, well, it's about what the title says, essentially, but it's not. It's about what they call covert incest, and I think it has a very, the name freaks a lot of people out, and I think should probably be changed because it immediately creates reactions of, oh, definitely not, because incest mm-hmm. is such a strong word. But the idea that there's sexual, physical incest, and then there is also emotional incest, which is where needs that in a family would be properly met by the wife to the husband or the husband to the wife, when they are not met, they can go to the kid to get that. So, mm. uh, and just to give an example that is kind of stereotypical, it's it's the mother that calls the son and tells him, your father doesn't listen, you know, your father, you know, your father doesn't do this and you were always such a good boy and you listen to me so much and this can get pushed. Does that happen? Yeah, yeah. Um, and no, and it can get pushed to where... Sorry, this is moms calling their 19-year-old sons to complain about their husbands? And it happens probably throughout a lot of childhood. So it's very common in divorced families where mm. uh, you're such a you're such a good boy, he's such a cad type stuff is is brought in. And Got what it. often happens is that it moves in typically in, and this is the the typical case though. It's different if there's a if it's a gay family, and it can of course break difference differently with. It any tends to go mothers to sons and fathers tends to, to daughters. Tends to go mothers, sons, fathers, daughters. Interesting. Um, and it tends to go idealization of the – so what happens is the one parent makes you feel very special and you are this, and that can include – and this is where it gets even – where it's borderline physical. It's like you know the rubbing of the back can happen and like what – you know changing up to a certain degree in front of or taking baths longer when the kid is capable of taking a bath. I feel like you just jumped <laughs> – I think I feel like you just jumped aggressively from like a mom rubbing her son's back to a mom changing purposely in front of no, her okay, son sorry. and taking baths well, with her about, son. Or, or like that's like a big like, oh, you're 19 years old and your mom rubs <laughs> your back. Watch out. Versus well, you know, like, oh, you're 19 years old and your mom skinny dips in the jacuzzi with you. The like, book – no, no, that's not that. The book does kind of do this, and I think it's like I, there a lot more attention should be paid to – because I was reading some things and I'm going, come on, you got to, you got to, now may, maybe I'm a, a total victim of this and I'm completely yeah. blind to it, but it's like. Hey, your mom you know, does some things, like she'll hug you or she'll grab your penis. Yeah, like, just like, yeah, lump them like all together. butt grabs or something. <laughs> and then there's like, there are some parts and I don't know if we, I don't know if it's my mom, but like kisses on the lips. We go like that. Like, is that horrible in a family? Oh, uh, we never rolled that way. I don't know that. I don't actually recall if we do, honestly, but I remember when Will Smith did it, he caught a lot of heat it's also cultural is the thing i mean i was like this is so this is a bit of a jump but in in the middle east it's not i think well this was true back in the 
day when I learned it. Who knows? But I don't think it's uncommon for heterosexual men to hold hands while they take walks mm -hmm. They just hang out and as friends, they'll hold hands. It just doesn't mean the same thing to them mm -hmm. that it would here. So yeah, I feel like a lot of it's, I don't know. We didn't do the, the lip kiss, but if you grew up in a town where everybody did it, you wouldn't think it was sexual to do it, you know? Sure. Well, it's, you know, it's two kisses on the cheek in many countries and some it's three, you know, is that, yeah, is yeah. that, it's 50% more. What does that mean? Um, and you know, this is so different than this now. And, and of course though, there, I think what they sort of point to is that the, there's, of there's the physical act, but there is also the emotional experience of it. And mm -hmm. if, and if what is happening is the mother or the father is not getting their physical need for affection met by their partner and they are therefore sourcing it from their child that is felt and the child then feels more like a partner in those instances than like a a child who is being taken care of mm. uh, and that is felt and it has it's dangerous because it feels really special and like you want to be the special one you want to make mom happy you like to be chosen and all those sorts of things you want to make dad happy uh, and what is repressed in those situations is the frustration and the anger at being given such a burden. Like you're happy for your burden of being mom's little man who makes mom happy. Or you're happy to be daddy's princess who is the light of his life. And that feels so good. What the process of therapy often is required to do is like the easy part for a lot of people, or actually it's, I, they're both hard. It's to see the flaws in your opposite sex parents and see how they were, they let you down. In, mm -hmm. in the raising of you and it's to see the similarities and compassion for the same-sex parent who you probably moved against in an attempt to align with the parent that was making you feel really special mm -hmm. um, but it was interesting it's an interesting book if any of that it's it's short if any of that rings true or curious to any of the listeners they can they can check it out um, but yeah that was what I did this week <laughs> nice. All right. <laughs> that was my whole week. Oh, and also we mentioned this before. I have to check, but uh, we're trying to do D and D stuff. Should we make another announcement or just we've done it? How's it going now? so far? Uh, we've got. I hadn't checked it in the last few days. I'll have to take a peek. But we have. We're still potentially open. We did get a good video editor submission, but I would love to see if there's there's more out there. Long story short, we are trying to film. A Dungeons and Dragons experience. No. <laughs> it's going to be like Critical Role or Dimension 20. And if you don't know what that means, don't worry about it. It's no, probably not for you. Then. Probably not for you. And so, yeah. <laughs> so we are looking for people that can help out um, primarily right now. There's there's a lot of ways you can fill out the app, the application beneath just to let us know if you have like, hey, I'm really good with character minis or I don't, I don't know. Um, if I'm really good with tech and I can help you get Tailspire to import character minis from Hero Forge. If that doesn't mean anything, don't sweat it. Yeah. Uh, but we're looking particularly for a video editor who would take all of the footage and, and make it into a, an episode that was fun to watch and potentially a, uh, a player in L.A. The video editor job would be paid and, and have some smaller percentage of uh, profit share. And the player job, you get to play Dungeons & Dragons for free. Uh, we will cover the cost, but we are not, we're not looking for paid players. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, if you'd like to do either of those things, you can fill out the application beneath. Cool. Short, short episode, but should we drop to YouTube questions? Because I know we have a lot of Patreon questions. Mm -hmm. So we're going to do a ton of those today. Good segue for, if you guys like the podcast, it is completely funded by our sponsors and our patrons. And uh, at some point, we're going to do a little bit of accounting and see if this thing is <laughs> constantly losing money. And if so, we may have to shut it down. So if you guys want the podcast to continue, you want us to keep shooting, 
you can click on the Patreon and donate. And in addition to funding all the episodes, you get guaranteed to have your questions answered at least once a month in the Patreon. And most of your money goes to Justin. So some of it goes to these microphones, but that's true. Yeah. <laughs> microphones and Justin. Not to me. Let's put it that way. But no, yeah. So we appreciate you guys. You are the reason this show happens. And if you want it to keep happening and you're not a patron yet, you can join with the link below. Now let's get into YouTube questions and then we'll go into Patreon questions. Sure. Cool. First one is I started dating this girl recently and we get along really well. Nice. We've hooked up and it was fun. When I'm with her, I always have fun and I'm super into her, but when I'm not, I have second thoughts about the relationship. I'm young, we're both going to the same college, and I know most relationships don't work out. I guess my question is, is what I'm feeling normal, and is it a sign that I should break up? So this person is in high school, and they're both going to college. Yeah. Or they're in college together as freshmen, something like that. Got it. Yeah, they're both going to the same college. This was a big Probably from high school. When you were going to college, this was a big consideration. Well, yeah, I mean, this what, so to be clear, this was me. I was dating someone who I really liked at the same time. Personally, I just felt like I didn't have the dating experience to know who a good partner was. And so I felt like I, I wanted to go be single specifically just to go date around, enjoy being single, and also get more of a sense of what was out there in the world. Dan Wilder was what did it, man. Dan <laughs> Wilder was a seminal movie in your life. Sure. And you're like, I got to go to college and be single party and have a great time i think that that was you know i, like, I want to date around it's like no i'm gonna be ryan reynolds well i was you know i was in the fraternity we were doing the, the bull the party with the mechanical bull and the phone yeah, yeah. party we we're doing the whole thing but i guess what i was gonna say is i i ended up ending that relationship i don't regret it i think she's great and she ended up getting married to someone else and is happy and i'm happy that i'm doing my thing so it's not wrong but i also will say the idea that the college relationship won't last is also not always true i and point to half of my fraternity brothers are married to the person they dated in college. So I guess the one thing that stood out is you said, is this normal? What should I do? And I would just say, there's no normal. It depends on the relationship. And oh, I don't it's, have it's, a it's should very for normal. you. It's very normal. Well, first off, all your friends who got married had the same exact feeling. They're like, I'm going to break up with this person. Sure. <laughs> and then oh, yeah. only, no. I think only one of them actually stayed together. But the rest just like they split. Broke up, broke up, broke up. Stay together, stay together. Uh, it's about 50-50, yeah. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of breakups, even of the ones that, that lasted, is I guess what I'm saying. So Multiple yes, breakups. Totally normal. <laughs> Multiple breakups. <laughs> totally normal. But now that I think about it, it's actually not half. It's like a quarter of the people I can think of are dating yeah. the person they were dating in college. You're not going to ruin your life. Here's what I promise you. Yeah, that's you, kind of you, thing. You can marry someone from college and be happy. Yeah. You can break up and be single and then marry someone else from college and be happy. Mm -hmm. You can leave college single and meet someone in the real, you know, quote unquote real world and be happy. I, I do think that a decision made on uh, like the fear of losing this person at such a young age, if I had to tilt in a direction, it would be, look, if you're feeling these feelings probably break up regret it don't regret it feel good about it and and move from there but my concern would be at such a young age staying uh playing it safe you know what i mean and 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 always wondering inside of yourself should i have did i do the right thing because even if it is a person that you could be with i can imagine that that question sure. would fester and make what could otherwise be a good relationship maybe you guys get back together like so many of these other people did uh, they had to answer that question for themselves. You know, they had. Oh yeah, for sure. I would never try to talk someone out of a breakup. I was just saying the flip side is you're not obligated to, to no. go be single just because you're 20. Yeah. 
So I guess it depends what's motivating you. If you're like, oh, I really want to stay with this person, but I just feel like I'm supposed, I'm supposed to, to yeah. go hook up with randos. Like, no, there's no supposed to. But if you're like, oh, I think this person's great. I'm scared that I'll regret it if I break up with them. But if I'm being honest, I want to be single, then go be single. This is really just getting, you feel pulled into the relationship and you feel pulled out of it. And I would just try to get crystal clear on what is motivating each. Mm-hmm. And that will determine what the right thing to do is. Cool. If there is such a thing as the right thing to do. Mm-hmm which there isn't next is um, any tips on overthinking social interactions. So it happens that sometimes after interactions take place, I would replay in my head a certain thing I said or did and wish that I either should have never said it or should have said something different instead. And it makes me worry about the kind of impression I might've left. And it can be stressful as I keep ruminating on these thoughts. I think it happens mostly when it's people I want to leave a good impression on any tips on dealing with this. Well, we we harness this, I think. Yeah, I was just thinking that. We we made this work for us, and I'm not saying that that's... We we did make the best of this situation in the sense that rather than go to the root of, oh my gosh, why do I doubt myself? We're like, okay, if I have regrets at the end of this interaction, there's things I wish I did, how can I make sure that doesn't happen again? Mm -hmm. And so what we... At times, there would be literal flashcards of like, where, what do you do? And I'd be like not say consultant do not and i would yeah, be like yeah. like say you know there's i have a lot of interest in hobbies right now i've been spending a lot of time playing guitar or did you mean what i did for work you know like I, I would find more interesting ways to handle the interaction uh and if and if something didn't go well then i would think through that particular situation what i would have done play it over in my head and hopefully not have the same thing happen again in a separate interaction yeah the ideal process for me at the time I was learning charisma wasn't to have a bad interaction and then shake it off. That actually wasn't what I was aiming for at the time. It was, okay, that interaction went badly. Let me try to understand why and what I wish I had done instead. And then once I got to the, what would have gone better, that's a good time to then release the interaction. What you don't want to do is keep beating yourself up because it didn't go well and you just hate yourself so much. So what, what I was aiming for is just going, okay, that conversation was boring when did it get boring or, oh, that, whatever, that person, we were laughing and having a good time, but neither of us is interested in meeting up. Like what happened? I was constantly dissecting what happened, but the idea would be once you do have a good hypothesis, you can let it go, go into the next interaction and test your hypothesis. So that's what we did. That's how we got charisma on command (laughs) was years of that trial and error problem solving. So I think that the big question is, how do you let it go once you think you know what went wrong or how it could have gone better? I guess just one tip is realize like you have an inner student and your current hypothesis is that berating that inner student is the way to get them to learn. And that's why you just keep going over and over and over and over. Do you mm-hmm. get it? Do you get it? Do you get it? See what you This is bad, bad, bad. And like that's not working. So you need to have a better teacher to that student. And that's part of that is describe, okay, here's what we're going to do next time. Here's, here's a better version of that. Actually, this is a great mistake to have made because this was not a life or death scenario. And yes, this person, but there's going to be so many more like them and Mm -hmm. you're going to get to do this again and again and again. So we didn't get it this time, hopefully next time. But even then, none of these are the last thing. Like it's, it's a, it's a, there's part of you that is learning and part of you that is trying to teach. And right now your teacher is just doesn't have effective tools. It's just like, this was wrong. This was wrong. This was wrong. You were so stupid. Uh, and so it's to recognize, okay, you know, that, that self-talk is me teaching myself and I need to uh, be purposeful about how I do that. 
All right. Last one is uh, my ex-girlfriend of three years and I have been broken up for almost a year now. Things ended civilly, um, yet we've maintained many of our mutual friends that we had throughout the course of our relationship. Mm -hmm. Recently, we've attempted to hang out again in the same social circles instead of playing the avoidance card. Um, For context, we live in a relatively small city and we're very much involved in the same things while dating, such as a college program, club, friends, etc. Okay. Uh, Do you have any advice on how or if one should work to manage this dynamic? And how can I do it in a way that is healthy and still encourages personal growth? A mindset of mine and one that I think you've echoed on the podcast is that in order to grow, you have to put yourself in uncomfortable situations. However, I'm struggling to find a balance that allows our friend group to flourish while making sure I don't backtrack on progress I previously made. Sorry, I was checking uh, part of the text. I didn't catch the whole. I'm confused why this person can't just go. I guess being around the ex makes them uncomfortable. Can I can I reiterate just so I make sure I'm up to speed? They're they're in a friend group uh, with their ex, yep. and they feel like that can get in the way of. They've been avoiding group. each other. They've been avoiding each other. I'll hang out with the friends this night. You hang out with the friends this but night. They can't. They can't avoid each other. I thought they a, were playing the avoiding game. We've um, been playing the avoiding game. No, so we've attempted to hang out again in the same shows, in the same social circles instead of playing the avoidance Got it. card. Instead of instead of. Right, but this is just creeping up a year later, so I'm assuming for the last year they've been <laughs> avoiding each other. Well, maybe they're in the same group but not interacting. It's possible that they're at the same house, you know, in the same room but not directly. What is the pr- I guess yeah, where can we identify the problem? Can there? you talk into the mic? Sorry, can we identify the problem? Yeah, so I think the person just feels uncomfortable around the ex. Cuz I'm like, well, okay, yeah, just go just go be in the same go be at the same party as your ex and doesn't have to be weird. So I think it sounds like this person wants to kind of be able to play the avoidance card, but mm. you can't because you have like the same the same social circles and then the the physical space that they occupy is like very there's a lot of overlap. Sounds like they're in college together. Got it. Um, I mean, I dealt with this. It's just weird, but you just let it be weird. (laughs) You just go to a thing and you see her and you go, oh, hey, what's going on? Hey. All right. Yeah. It's glad glad things are going well. And then you just are at the same party, but you're just not necessarily talking to each other. And then eventually you get comfortable. It's like exposure therapy. You get comfortable talking to each other and then it's not weird at all. Now you're just two people that are in the same friend group that happen to have dated. That's how I did it. I just... Exposure share beat my way through it. Yeah, I don't I don't unfortunately have a better way than we were in a romantic relationship. We're not. It's uncomfortable to be near around and it gets less uncomfortable as time goes by. I think one of the things that I would just check your own head is are you or is either of you hanging on to something? Are you behaving in a way where you feel like you're not allowed to flirt with other people in front of her? Uh, is she feeling that with you? Like that that that's kind of and what you're describing is a person, you, who was done with the relationship, like who truly was not trying to get back in it, who didn't want to have any control over what she did in her life because you were finished with it, who just felt, okay, I have to say hello, make this. I had this with other people in college that I, I wasn't their boyfriend, but I had romantic interest. We hooked up for some period of time. Then we stopped hooking up. Yeah, yeah, and they were, and now they were, we're there. And now we're at the same parties. And it's the same. It's still, it's like, okay, what am I going to do? I'm going to not come enjoy myself because I'm going to avoid this person? No, I'm going to berate them and tell them not to come because it's my fraternity no i'm not gonna do that they have they have friends in the fraternity that's how i met them so i just yeah. said okay just gonna be pleasant and try to dance on the outside of my comfort zone talk to them for as long as i feel comfortable and then just go okay i'm gonna go to this other group 
talk to them. And then that, that person would hook up with people that I was friends with or acquaintances with. And I ended up hooking up with friends of hers and yeah, you do. It's just exposure therapy. It starts out weird and can even be hurtful the first time that one of you hooks up with someone that the other one knows. But I'm sure that w- that that experience happened, right? Where you where you liked someone and they went and didn't like you back, or no, no, I don't go. I where I was, I hooked up with them for a period of time, yeah, yeah. and then it stopped, and I didn't want it to stop. And then you flash forward some number of months, and they're hooking up with someone else in your fraternity yeah. because that's how you met them, and that's how <laughs> that's how they're meeting the next version of you, which is the casual hookup of the future for them. And yeah, you just go, okay, what am I going to do? I'm going to not come to my own parties. No, I'm going to tell you, you can't come to this event that has friends you had prior to us hooking up. No. And I guess we're both going to be here. So what am I going to do while we're here? Well, I'm not going to leave the room every time you come in. Cause sometimes I want to be in this room. So I'll just say hi. And it can be a little bit uncomfortable. Hey, how's it going? Hey, how's it going? All right. Yeah, cool. And then you just go into separate conversations. And over time, it just stops being uncomfortable. Yeah. And then you can genuinely go, oh, I'm actually completely neutral to even slightly positive. Yeah, that and you're then here. you meet someone that you like, and all of a sudden, it doesn't matter as much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's that's honestly a question. And you're hooking it, up with each other's friends, and it's <laughs> not weird. And yeah, yeah. It, it just slowly gets better because you're dancing on the edge of whatever you're comfortable with. Mm-hmm. And that expands over time. Sure. All right. That's it. Cool. We're doing the patron questions. All right, we're going to hop over to Patreon, shoot for quite some time, I think, today. We have, we have a lot, right? <laughs> yep. Okay, cool. Well, if you want to join, link is in the description. Any dollar amount gets you access to all of the, basically, this is going to be like a second podcast now that is just viewer generated. So if you'd like to join, we appreciate it. Keeps us going either way. Thanks for watching. We'll see you soon. Peace. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.